0: turn to Matthew chapter 25 we're looking at verses 31 through to the end of the chapter 31 to 46 and the title of my sermon is the day of judgment in recent weeks we have studied two parables let me remind you first of all we looked at the parable of the ten virgins in which ten virgins went out to meet the bridegroom five of them were said to be wise they had lamps and they also had oil for their lamps whilst the other five were described as foolish they had lamps but they didn't have oil for their lamps the lamps are no good without the oil when finally the bridegroom came the five wise virgins went into the uh, marriage with him and the door was shut When that happened, the foolish virgins, they weren't around. They'd gone off to uh, buy oil from somewhere. When they returned, they were denied entry into the marriage, and as can be seen in verse 12 of this same chapter, chapter 25, the bridegroom answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. That parable was seen to emphasise the importance of being prepared for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, having all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus through repentance towards God and faith in the Lord. Secondly, we looked at the parable of the talents which is about a man who travelled to a far country, having first entrusted different sums of money to three of his slaves, according to their individual abilities. They didn't all receive the same amount. Two of the slaves, they put to work the talents, the money that was entrusted to them, and they doubled what they had received. And when their master returned, he said to them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. However, things were very different for the third slave. The third slave, he'd received the smallest amount according to his ability. Uh, But let's see what happened with regards him. Again, in chapter 25, I'm going to read verses 24 to 30. The son of man, sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter here. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou has not sown and gathering where thou has not stored And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth lo, there thou hast that is thine his lord answered and said unto him thou wicked and slothful servant thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury or with interest Take, therefore, the talent from him, and give it unto him which have ten talents. For unto every one that have shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that have not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Today's passage... Follows on from that, it's about the day of judgment, a time when Jesus will come again to judge the living and the dead. In other words, everyone who has ever lived. As we look at this passage, we will draw on the lessons that we've already considered in those um, parables that precede it. Lessons about being busy in service to the Lord Jesus Christ with what he has given us, putting that to full use, being busy in his service, proclaiming the gospel and, and being um, good and faithful servants as people trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins and for everlasting life. I brought the two together. The the parable of the ten virgins, it's about trusting in Jesus and being um, Someone who has received all spiritual blessings through faith in him. And then the parable of the talents is being busy in his, as sinners saved by grace. Before we go any further, understand very clearly that Jesus is returning as the judge of all the earth. I'm going to quote a couple of scriptures here. There are actually very many of them. I'm going to give you two uh, quotes here. Acts chapter 10. Verse 40 to 42, the Apostle Peter said, Him, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And the second one comes from Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, where the Apostle Paul said, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance to this, of this to all, by raising him from the dead. And Jesus himself speaks of himself being um, given authority by his Father to judge. In in John's Gospel, chapter five, for example. Turning now to our passage, we'll read verse thirty-one from Matthew. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. The first thing that can be seen in this passage is that Jesus will retain the title Son of Man. Where at his second coming, he will be the Son of Man. As he was at his second coming, as He indeed he is now, seated at the right hand of God, where he ever lives to make intercession... For those who trust him, the son of God is the son of man and he will be the son of man, even at that final judgment. When the son of man came the first time, it was in his humiliation. He came as a suffering servant. He had no beauty or majesty. There was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, the son of man. However, when the Son of Man comes again, he will not come in his humiliation, but he will come in the glory. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Just look at what a magnificent occasion it will be when Jesus shall come in his glory with his holy angels. How different it will be to when he was laid in a manger. When he comes again, he will sit on his throne of glory as king of kings and lord of lords. Who is the king of glory? The lord of hosts. He is the king of... Let's have a look at verses 32 to 33. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another... As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Verse 32 is telling us that everyone who has ever lived will present himself before King Jesus. He will, whether he like, whether he wants to or not. He will present himself before King Jesus, the judge of all the earth and Jesus will separate all the nations into two groups on the right will be those who are described as sheep and on the left will be those who are described as the goats those two groups will have nothing to do with earthly citizenship don't don't Get that thought in your mind because we see the the word nations, all the nations being gathered. It's not going to be something like the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games with the Americans marching in proudly waving the stars and stripes or Team GB holding aloft the um, Union Jack. It's got nothing to do with that. Neither will those two groups have anything to do with whether a person was a Jew or a Gentile. But rather they will have everything to do with whether a person is blessed or cursed of God. Blessed or cursed of God. And that information is given further on. Just have a look at verse 34. We're going to quickly look down to verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father. Okay, so the ones on the right, the sheep, are the ones who are blessed. And then look at verse 41a, the first part of verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, the goat, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. You've got those who are blessed on the right, those who are cursed on the left. Even before getting to those verses, it's not difficult to figure out who the blessed are. Even if you hadn't looked down to the verses I've just shown you, you could work out straight away that the sheep would be those who are blessed. If you know anything about John chapter 10, where Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd, and those who are trusting in him are his sheep. And he gives his sheep everlasting life. And they shall never perish. They're they're blessed. They belong to the Lord Jesus. Whereas the those on the left, those who are cursed, they would be the non-elect, the reprobate. Let's have a look at verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. As can be seen, the final judgment when King Jesus shall sit upon his throne of glory will be similar to other court cases, inasmuch evidence will be presented. However, where it will differ greatly from earthly court cases is that right at the very beginning, Even before that evidence is presented, the nations will have already been divided up into the sheep who are blessed and the goats who are cursed. Even before Jesus has spoken at the first, the nations are divided, separated into and the goats. As we just, as we see here. And it's only after that separation has taken place that the judge will speak. And the evidence will be presented by him, and not by lawyers and wit. In other words, it's not it's not how we have it in the world, where the evidence is considered and then a judgment is made afterwards. It's the other way round. The judgment has actually taken place by virtue of the fact that the blessed are seated on the right, and the cursed are seated on the left, even before the evidence is presented. In verse 34, the judge addresses the sheep, and the first thing he says to them, even before speaking about anything good that they have done is, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Therefore, in eternity, long before the sheep had done anything at all, A heavenly inheritance was prepared for them, according to God's will and his good pleasure. We can see that to be the case in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, where the Apostle Paul spoke of the children of God, of Christians, being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That's in Romans chapter 8. And in that same chapter, in verse 29, The Apostle spoke of Christians being predestined by God. And there are a host of other Bible verses that speak of Christians being predestined, being chosen before the foundation of the world, such as Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where Paul said to the Christians, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he have chosen us in him, he includes himself there, of course, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before foundation of the world. Uh, When you understand that, then it makes perfect sense here that at the very beginning, of that final joint. that separation has taken place where the the blessed those who were chosen before the foundation of the world and a, a heavenly inheritance was prepared for them they being heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ they're on the right and the goats those who are cursed of God reprobate they are on the This is something that was settled in eternity. Let's read verses 35 through to verse 40. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat, or food. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. I don't want you to forget the point that I've been trying making and laboring really just now, that these people that I've just read about now, the sheep, they have an inheritance prepared for them in eternity before the foundation of the world, as as Jesus says to them, the king says, um, Yeah, in verse 34, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These are people who have been chosen in Christ Jesus, chosen to to for everlasting life. And what follows in verses 35 through to verse 37 is a list of six things that the sheep have done for other Christians, as unto the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where you really need to sit up. You know, as a Christian, you probably and certainly, if you 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 hold to the doctrines of grace, you God that you were chosen in eternity, and you thank God for that. Especially when you think, I know that I'm 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 a, I'm a hell deserving sinner, and it's by grace I'm saved through faith, and so on. But this is where the challenge comes. There's always going to be a challenge. You know that. Whenever I'm preaching, there's always going to be a challenge for you. What follows in the, these verses is a list of six things that the sheep have done for other Christians as unto Jesus. I, I don't imagine this list is exhaustive. It's six things, but there, there's, this is an example of what those who are blessed the sheep will have done. The good works spoken of by Jesus in these verses are rendered by Christians unto Christians, as unto Jesus himself. That doesn't mean that it's okay to ignore the needs of everyone else who is not a Christian, but these verses show clearly the strength of the bond and the brotherly love that exists between all true Christians. In John's Gospel, speaking to Christians, we looked at this morning, didn't we? Jesus gave a new commandment when he said, love one another as I have loved you. And now we're looking at uh, much the same. It's about love, practical. As as such, it is inconceivable that a Christian would not fulfil what Jesus has commanded them to do, with God's enabling grace, of course. Note that the works that are mentioned are not in any way spectacular like prophesying in Jesus' name or casting out devils in Jesus' name or even speaking, in, presumably, in Jesus' name. None of that. They are just everyday acts of loving kindness that are carried out by Christians and for Christians. You see a lot of this in uh, Epistle of James. You know, James, he talks about, if your brother he's he's standing there shivering, don't just say to him, oh, be warm, give him some. If you hear his tummy rumbling because he hasn't had a meal, give him some. It's their, their acts of love, especially amongst Christians, as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the kind of things that the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ do. That is how they are wired up as new creatures and Christians are wired up to do these things. They love one another, not just in words, but with a practical and often sacrifice. They do what they do as people who are trusting in Christ alone for their right to stand before God. The very fact that they will say to Jesus, When saw we sick or in prison and came unto thee? shows just how far from their minds were any thoughts of them seeking to justify themselves by their good works. That was the last thing on their mind. We see in verse 40 that Jesus will say to the sheep, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. In other words, the important thing to appreciate here is those charitable acts, those practical acts of love and they are acts of love genuine acts of love but more important than that is that they are acts of th- whatever you did for the least of these brethren you did un- They're acts of th- so important to appreciate this is the fruit of salvation the fruit of having a genuine saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ not something that you do Um, religiously forcing yourself to do it should be something that flows from the fact that you are I don't know about you but I can think of many people who do far more acts of kindness than me for other people I I can come up with names straight away many people who do more for others including Christians than I do, that's for sure nevertheless their works will, will be considered as filthy rags before God because they have no interest in the Saviour's blood. They do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the wrath of God abides upon them. As such, despite all of their good works, they will stand before God rightly condemned for their rebellion against Him unless of course they repent and believe the gospel of Christ before they die. It turns whatever comes first. In conclusion, when the day of judgment comes, the criteria for judgment will be what? It will be precisely the same across the board for everyone. We're not uh, going to look at the cursed here, but it's the same criteria for the blessed and the cursed. It's about works, whatever you did or didn't do. Whatever you did as unto me, or whatever you didn't do, you didn't do unto me. It's the same list. There will be no need for Jesus to list all the horrible sins, the depravity that you and I have committed. I'm I'm certainly not saying that Jesus won't bring these things up, I don't know. But we don't see that in the passage here. There's no mention of all the terrible things that you've done, or thought, or said, and likewise with me. Then, being judged according to our works. And if Jesus did mention the sins that you committed, each one of us, it's a never-ending, do you realise that? Each one of you here, that list would just go on, okay. times no, no matter, no longer of any relevance anyway, but suffice to say, it would be a long, long list never ending jesus will judge us according to our works. that is clear from today's passage and from many other bible passages i've got a few of them here i want to show you this uh, you can look them up if you want to matthew chapter sixteen verse twenty seven let's have a look at that matthew twenty six verse twenty Ma- matthew twenty six verse twenty seven For the Son of Man shall come in his in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. John chapter five, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine or take yeah. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation doing good doing evil 2 corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he have done, whether it be good or bad. And last of all, Revelation chapter twenty and verse thirteen. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So, are you a sheep whom the judge of all the earth will speak to with the words, "Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me? Or are you a goat to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will say, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not for me. Will Jesus say to you, come you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world? Or will he say to you, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? And to answer those questions, it may help you to consider the following as we finish. Do you show love in practical ways, especially? If the answer is yes, then do you do what you do as a servant of Jesus, trusting in him alone? By God. Amen.